All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 100 of the DFO Rundown. We made and great today because Frank, today on episode 100, we have one of the top 100 players of all time. Adam Oates is going it's to a join us. Edition, not yes, we, we've run out edition. of names. Now it's just a, a, a we've hit the century mark and we're going big time. Yes, and uh, I'm. We're going to have a short intro today because uh, the conversation with Adam Oates. Uh, he is very much a hockey guy. Uh, he's a skills coach for numerous NHL players and non-NHL players, and he's got some really unique philosophies uh, on the game. So I think uh, hockey people are really going to like this conversation. Um, Frank, I guess we'll start with the big news of Andrew Kane. No supplementary discipline, and uh, he signs a one-year pro-rated contract for just over two million dollars with the Edmonton Orders. Uh, what do you make of the, of the whole situation? Uh, with Kane. And uh, to clarify, a lot of people are like, so does this mean he's winning his case with San Jose? My understanding is the San Jose termination was for other reasons. Yeah. And, and that's actually uh, some details that are new. I guess you could call him legal analyst on dailyfaceoff.com. Chris Gear is going to dive into with a story, just some details today. He was, of course, the chief legal officer for the Vancouver Canucks and their assistant GM. So uh, happy to tap into his <laughs> knowledge and his CBA knowledge as well. And 
just taking a cursory read of his story before it was posted, his thing is we don't know what the San Jose Sharks have in their arsenal. So they themselves do. Uh, Clearly the National Hockey League does as well. They were comfortable with their grounds for the termination. And just because the independent investigation did not show or did not prove an illegal border crossing for Vander Kane or violation of COVID-19 protocol, that it means that the uh, Evander Kane camp is necessarily going to win the grievance. He still thinks this is ultimately going to end up in a settlement. We'll see. Uh, my overall thoughts on Evander Kane joining the Oilers. Uh, one, this is what feels like a 17th chance for Evander Kane, and we'll see if he can make good on it. Uh, he's got a lot of motivation and a lot of reasons to do so. And the Edmonton Oilers have put a lot of faith in him. And I would say, too, from a hockey perspective, I am a little bit surprised about the cap hit and where that comes in at. I think in some ways it feels like the Oilers were played a little bit in the not the interest, because I do think a lot of teams were interested in Evander Kane. But when it ultimately push came to shove on the dollars, Given the situation that Evander Kane was in, and I'm the Edmonton Oilers, I would have said, here's the deal. 750 grand, the league minimum, prorated, whatever that comes out to, 350, 375 for the remainder of the year. That's what you're getting here. And if you don't like it, feel free to go somewhere else. You don't have leverage. And the issue is now it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's now further constrained the Oilers in terms of what they can do the rest of the season. You know, if they want to go out and get a goalie now they're they don't really have any cap space and they're going to need to trade someone from their roster in order to make it happen. Well, so if I, that would be Miko Koskinen who has 4.5 million cap. If so. you can move him. Yeah. So all I'm saying is it's further put a bind on the Oilers in terms of what I think is solving what really ailed them to begin with. They're 27th in the league in save percentage. I, I don't know that they needed a power. Like No one's going to say that Evander Kane as a player doesn't make the Oilers better. I don't think anyone would ever make that argument. He's a 30-goal scorer. But they didn't need more goals. They didn't need a power forward. They needed someone that's preventing goals and, and, and stopping the puck. So I don't know that they've truly actually addressed their need and, and what they may have caused themselves in the end depending on how all this plays out. My guess is that there's no hiccup with Evander Kane at all. And the rest of the year goes swimmingly fine in terms of his fit because he knows he needs to. Yeah. I'll say this, having watched the team and I, I, I break down all their stats, goaltending definitely is a concern this year. But if you look at the production from their top six wingers last season and this season, five on five playing with the league's two top scores, it's abysmal. It's awful. It's been like, abysmal for, for yeah. six years. Like, well, that's why. Well, no, like when you had a Patrick Maroon and he scored a lot five on five that year with McDavid, right? Like you need guys who can produce five on five. Getting power play points is great. But Edmonton's top six wingers, five on five production based on who they play with has really been abysmal. So I actually but that think wasn't that was going to keep them out need. of the playoffs, though. Uh, yeah. 27th in the league and save percentage keeps you out of the playoffs. I'm sorry. Yeah, but there was no. And I don't discount that they need that, but I think they needed multiple things is all I'm saying. And I don't think that, well, there was no UFA goalie that they could get without giving up anything, right? Like they got a guy for nothing, basically. They had to pay him salary cap, but they didn't have to give up any assets. And like the ask right now for a flurry 
or a Corpus Allo is Flurry's not. Yeah. Flurry's not yeah. coming to Edmonton. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't even know if there's a goalie, Frank, honestly, like when you look at it, people are like, well, Varlamov. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure. Like they would have to give up a lot because everybody knows what you just said that they got a, a 27 save percentage. So they're going to need, you know, Koskinen's now finally played three solid games in a row. Uh, don't overplay him though. Now they got to get Stuart Skinner. Maybe, I don't know if Mike Smith will ever play what's going on this year. It's odd, but um, I don't know if they can solve that problem. I agree. It's a major one, but they put themselves. All, all I'm in saying is if they want to, they've further limited their ability to do so. Okay. They've now made it that much more difficult. Is that fair? Yeah, a little bit. Sure. I, I agree. I was surprised too. I thought like 1.5 is what he was going to get. And, uh, and then, you know, prorate that. So he ends up with like, 750 or whatever. Cause right like, now, where did the Washington capitals come from out of nowhere? They never made him an offer. All of a sudden you hear six days ago, Oh, oh the Washington capitals are in the mix. Like, how and where, and why does that come from? And, mm-hmm. and how much did that factor into negotiating this, the terms of this deal? Fair point. I wonder if it was the agent, which is usually what it would be smart, but yeah, I didn't, uh, I never heard if there was a serious one, but it's funny. I put five teams at the very start and Washington was one that I thought, Hey, I just look at their team. I thought the style of player he would fit there. So, but uh, obviously they didn't make a move. Um, and I'll be curious to see how Kane, uh, I think he'll be on his best behavior early, Frank, but to me, this is four months. It's more so going to be this summer. And I'm very curious what kind of contract any team gives him in the summertime. Cause I don't think anyone debates how good he is on the ice. It's what about in the dressing room? What about off of the ice? Those are things that have followed him around and we'll see if, uh, if he can clear that up. He has seen a therapist. Now he said in his interview with Kayla Gray, so good for him. I think for any human it's being, about the only thing he said in that interview. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that was maybe the most disappointing part of everything that played out yesterday, uh, Thursday, as he signs the deal and this, this interview comes out, it's, it's, Part one is 34 minutes alone and, and you watch it and he was asked multiple point blank questions. Like, no, like I, I have no bones at all with, with Kayla Gray in terms of how the interview was handled. She asked a lot of really tough questions that Evander Kane said, I'm here to set the facts straight. I'm here to set the record straight and then said nothing. Yeah. Well, it's, did that surprise you? Well, then what are you there for? Yeah. Eventually the interview became a critique on the media and why the media have Vander Kane in the position that he's in, as opposed to taking any sort of accountability for the positions that he's put himself in. Yeah, that's hey, that's fair. Uh, I would agree. That's uh, completely fair. Uh, we'll get to more of that. I want to get quickly though, Frank, uh, we do have uh, the hall of famer, uh, Adam Oates, who's a skills coach for, uh, for numerous NHLers and non NHL players. Uh, he'll join us now in the DFO rundown today on the DFO rundown. We are proud to welcome in hockey hall of famer. He is 18th all time in NHL points. He is uh, eighth in NHL assists. He's one of only nine players to ever score 140 points in a single NHL season. Was a Washington Capitals uh, head coach. Now he's a skills coach for numerous NHL players. And he really doesn't think that sticks matter and what kind of stick you use. Adam Oates joins us. Uh, Oatesy, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. Obviously, I'm facetious about the uh, stick. Were you working on your stick before you came on this morning? I work on my stick every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of working on your sticks, and you know, you're a. You know, I've talked to you many times over the years on my show, and and you're a real student of the game. When you see Trevor Zegras goal last night, 
And he does it in maybe the smoothest Michigan I've seen. Do you think we're going to see many more players do it? Or is it kind of like the one-timer? Only certain guys are really good at it. Um, well, Trevor's is, Trevor is actually one of my clients. And obviously a very talented man. Uh, the previous one he did in Buffalo, I actually liked. Because if you actually watch it, he, he actually paid attention to what was going on in front of the net before he picked up the puck. So it was, it was sort of a controlled play. And it was, it was actually a pass. He's got those kind of hands. Um, the Michigan goal, I am not a fan of. Oh, okay. How come? No, even though it takes a tremendous amount of talent. I would never disagree that it doesn't take... I mean, I couldn't do it. At the heat of the moment, I, I couldn't do it. But... But what I don't want guys to do is you've got two teammates out there. So while you're all of a sudden focusing on picking up that puck, you've lost perspective of the other eight guys on the ice right in front of you. So you might've had a teammate open that you could just give a backhand pass to. So like the skill is fantastic. And some of them, I see the guys literally putting their head down to try and trap the puck, right? Sometimes. Well, the problem with that is what if one of their defenders is coming around the net to get you? So, yeah, it's a cool move. But really, for me, when I watch guys do it, are you are you losing perspective of, of the play while you're trying to do this Instagram move? No, but if what if it works like it did last night? Like no one yeah, touched it. Works. Well, that's like, hey, listen, like everything works sometimes. But what if you're trying to do it tomorrow night and a defenseman's coming around the corner and hammers you because you get your head down? Well, then it didn't work, did it? So, like, you know, and, and if you're going to do it once a year and you just lost 20 assists, do the math. Hmm. And is it a cool play? Yeah, I, I would. Every, every play is cool. But at the end of the day, you know what? what? What if you're going down for the puck and you don't quite get it on the first try? Right? So it bobbles a little bit. So your attention gets distracted. And really, that's what I do for a living is, you know what? Our game is a fast game. You get distracted. You bobble the puck. There's guys out there. You know, and you bobble the puck, you're vulnerable. So I, I would never want a guy to focus too much on it if he's making himself vulnerable. Interesting, because I, I was, you know, watching it again and again. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, in, in some ways, what you're talking about, the vision for Trevor Zegras to see that spot and that opening and to get there that quickly, like that's something not everyone can do. Obviously the skill part of it is a whole separate aside, but to me, the interesting part of it and same thing with the goal against Buffalo is, is the vision part of it to see that opening. Not everyone has that part as well. And, and that's kind of why I'm interested to hear you, you know, talk about the vulnerability of it because he clearly saw the opening. Yeah. And that's, you know, honestly, Frank, it's that's sort of like, I would never tell him to not do it, but as I watch a player's game shift after shift after game, if I see guys losing perspective of, of what's out there, I don't like, you know, cause my number one thing with every single guy is I want them to stay healthy. I do. I want them to stay healthy. Um, Nathan McKinnon, who I've never met got hit by Taylor Hall it was a clean hit. He got hurt. Why? You know, it was a clean hit. So therefore he had not realized where Taylor Hall was for a split second. So every single guy, I want them to stay healthy and play as long as possible and to have success, execute and make their coaches like them. 
So if I see something that I think uh, distracts them, even though it might be a cool play, I would talk about it with them. You know, but like this, in terms of the skill to be able to do it, oh yeah, for sure, for sure, fantastic. You know, it's interesting. One thing you just said there, um, not just stay healthy, but also make their coaches like them. And I was curious what, and I think a lot of people have been curious reading about your work over the years is how do you balance, you know, the development of a player's skills also within the team setting to ensure that there's that sort of assimilation there that exists between whatever you're talking about and whatever his team and their coaches might be preaching. You know what? It, uh, I would say five years ago at first, people were puzzled about what's he doing kind of thing. Right. But, and you could say the same thing about strength coaches and the guys go home and they work on with strength coaches. What are you doing? Right. Cause it's obviously not our team's strength coach. Um, and I would say that it's dissipated a lot. Uh, but quite honestly, like I do videos with the guys. So I talk to them. So I've always told the guys, if your coach or GM ever questions you play the video, listen to the way I talk, because quite honestly, all I really do is try and get the players to execute. And every single thing in our game requires execution. For example, taking a face off. Well, taking a face off requires a skill set. What do you do after the face off? How do you hold your man? That's a skill. Going, you know, getting the puck out of, around the boards. That's a skill. Defenseman pinching. That's a skill. So like all I really do is work on skills and what the particular skill is for that particular moment. And that's it. You know, shooting is obvious. Passing is obvious. Go, going to battle a defenseman net front. Well, it's obvious, but it's a hard skill. It's not that easy. So at, at the end of the day, we work on sort of every possible skill that could happen. And when you watch a guy's video and you watch a player often enough, you see sort of maybe little tiny glitches where, you know, obviously an NHL player is a very, very good hockey player. So his skill set is so good, but that doesn't mean he's a perfect player. And that doesn't mean make you a perfect player night after night. So, you know, and, and the number one thing that we address, obviously, because of the, of the nature of it is concussions, right? It's, it's, a, it's the injury. And when you watch almost every concussion, almost, the guy bobbled the puck. And because he bobbled the puck, the amount of time it took, the window of opportunity closed so that defender who was coming now gets closer to that guy because he bobbled the puck. It takes time to bobble it and then it takes time to get the puck back under control. And sometimes you don't have that time. So we try and work on every, every single aspect of, of everything that allows you to play. So we, we really don't focus on systems or any of that stuff, but obviously I, I played, so I do know what the systems are mm -hmm. and, and you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's a subject that where quite honestly, like if you execute the system works. Yeah, Adam, that's a great point about it is uh, it's the whole theory of some coaches at young ages, they focus on a system like, but if you're, if your players don't have the skills, it doesn't matter because they won't be able to do the system uh, consistently. You mentioned, you know, five years ago when you started and the evolution of you as, as a certified skills coach, there was no skills coaches when Adam Oates was playing like your dad, I guess maybe, but you know, you didn't have a skills coach in, in the summertime for players now. And you have guys, elite level players like Connor McDavid, you'll have fourth liners, third liners, third pair defensemen, they're all different types. Um, 
Darnell Nurse told me a story of how when he first started with you, I, I think he joked something like for a week straight, all he worked on was going back to pick the puck off the boards. And it was just like getting better at picking the puck off the boards. And can you tell me your philosophy on board play and why it's it's such a attention to detail aspect for you? Well, it's funny because if I look back at my coaching career, the biggest mistake I made was I didn't focus enough on that because you think about it, it's practice. So when you have a practice, what are you trying to do? Get better. Okay. So I remember talking about it with one of the GMs and it's like, well, we want an efficient practice. And I'm like, well, there's no such thing as an efficient practice. That's called practice, right? So why am I trying to impress the media that, geez, it looks like a good practice today. Because technically, we're all not the wiser anyway, just so you know, like we like we'd all just look at it and be like, yeah, sure. That's great. I, I, I know, but it's, it's amazing how there is a little pressure. It, there is so like, what are they doing out there? Well, it looked like a good, you know, they were like, even when I work with younger kids, the parents are so used to little Johnny hustling out there for an hour. Well, that's not what I do. Right. So, for example, back to Nursey, like he's a left shot defenseman. So. If you think about it, he's got to go in his corner every shift of his life. He's got to go in that corner with a puck bouncing or not bouncing, a guy chasing him, a guy on the other side who's coming to get him. Maybe his goalie's in the way. Where's his partner? And what's his intention on this particular play? Well, when you have to do that every shift of your life, you might as well get good at that, right? And, and as a coach, you think about, okay, we're going to do breakouts. And we all like doing breakouts because it gets the boys moving, right? Well, if every team has eight defensemen, are they all really good at breakouts? <laughs> no. So, so therefore, if you do breakouts, some of the guys are going to struggle. And the video from last night's game, a couple guys struggled. So you can't have an efficient practice because they don't have that particular skill, yet we want an efficient practice. So there is kind of like, that's, I would say that in my coaching career, that's probably the biggest mistake I made was I didn't focus as much as I do now on guys' skills. So with that in, in the summertime and working on the skills and the evolution of it, and, and you talked about battles, what's a drill or that allows guys to be better in board battles, for instance? And I would say, you know, probably high-level skill players some might struggle at that because growing up, they were just so much better. They never maybe had to do it. Well, now you get to the NHL, everybody's close. So can you, can we talk about board battles, Oti? And, and how do you work with skilled guys on board battles? Uh, it, it's not the easiest thing to explain without, without being on the ice. Um, but there, that, that's a good point because, for example, some of the kids that were big early on struggle with board battles because they were so big as a young guy that they didn't have to, right? They, like no one would go near them. And then you take a guy like, um, I'm trying to think of guys I don't have, like a guy like Mitch Marner. I think he's very good at it. Well, and you know why? Because he was a smaller guy. He had to, he had to learn those skills innately because you know what? because he was smaller. So some generally smaller guy, Eric Carlson in San, in San Jose. I mean, he's, he's the best at breaking his team out. And no one ever, no one ever thinks of him that way. But when you watch the video, he, he breaks his team out the most. 
because he had to learn those skills because guys have been chasing him his whole life. So like, but I would tell you, honestly, Jason, like everything we do, it, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. There's a lot of explanation that goes into it. We go out there and we talk about the angles, for example, like what direction is the guy coming? Which way does he shoot? Which way do you shoot? Because obviously it's going to affect how you spin into a player to a protect yourself and b try and win that battle. So there's a lot goes into one little play, for example. Adam, how much hockey do you watch? I probably watch the most in the world. <laughs> I, I, I just listening to you, I had to think, you know, you'd be up there. Um, like you know what I watch, uh, I, I watch a ton. I watch every night. It's on my mind all the time. Obviously I'm looking all the time to see how the guys are doing. Uh, I, you know, I, it's funny. I, I would say I'm still a hockey man. You know, I've always been a hockey man. There's probably in my life, a couple hiccups along the way where I got a little tired of hockey, but you know, I, I'm a hockey guy. It's every day. So what is the typical cadence like for you in a week? Like how, how often are you communicating with your clients? Do you, is, are, is each client different in terms of what they like from you? Are, are some guys, you know, really communicative in season? Some guys prefer not to be hot. Like, is it, does it vary based on uh, your experience with them or how long they've been with you? What, how, what is, how does it work? That's, you know, you just answered it. it that, the answer is, yeah, everybody's a little different. It's their personalities. Um, obviously, sometimes schedule dictates West Coast guys, East Coast guys, because I'm on the East Coast. Uh, what's their schedule like? Because I know, I know, for example, they just played three and four that mentally they're not ready to talk. They, they need rest. Um, so what I do is we have a combination where I send them clips of little things that we work on in the summer that showed up in the game. And then every once in a while, I'll do some voiceovers. So they hear me talking like this about a particular play and explain the play out. And then if I see, if I think something's going on, I, I go to the rink near here and I'll, I'll film something and I send that to the guys. And, and, and really I get into a rhythm with the, the personalities of each player. And quite honestly, I, I love that. I do. I love, I love that part of the job. How many guys do you work with, Adam? Well, we have about 140 clients total, probably 60 in the NHL. And, and how different is, obviously, the technology is incredible now in terms of what you can see and get your hands on. But in terms of the ability to work as closely with the guys that are not in the NHL as opposed to are, what's that like? Well, you know what? With, with the amateurs, a lot of amateurs arenas have video systems built into the arenas now. Right. Or even the younger teams, they have video. Like, like or so I, I even have some parents that film it, film it themselves. So how young are the guys, that you, the youngest guys you're working with? Uh, we have uh, two 10-year-olds, a wow. couple younger girls. Um, I have three coaches in Toronto. I have uh, two coaches in Boston. Um. And, you know, we have the full gamut. And obviously when someone calls us, we talk it out in terms of how often we have availability to see them, that them see us, do they travel, do we travel, et cetera, et cetera. You try and get into a, you try and get into a rhythm. And how big is your staff? You mentioned, I think five coaches. Do you have, how many, how big is your staff? Uh, five coaches, uh, my partner, we have a couple other people that video. Uh, so all in all, 10 people. Wow. Yeah. 
Adam, it's grown. It really has grown. And, and, and quite honestly, like I'm proud of it, Frank, honestly, because I, I would tell everybody out there that the first thing that I focus on with every single person is health. I am trying to keep everybody healthy. That's, that's my number one priority. And one way you do that, Oates, is your real focus on backhands. Explain why you think the backhand is so important to eliminating players' abilities to get hurt. Well, just because, you know, <clears throat> the real answer, Jason, is when you're out there, I want a player to be able to move spontaneously. Put on the brakes, back up, go left, go right. And depending where the opponents are, depending where the boards are, there's times that you have to use your backhand and go to your backhand. So it's probably the most neglected skill growing up. So we do focus on it a lot because we try and make the player balanced. And, that, and quite honestly, that's also balanced being able to look where you're going. You mentioned you have some young players as young as 10 playing with your head up for, for a lot of young kids is very difficult. How, how do you work with kids? Is it simply just a skill of, you know, stationary off the ice stick handling, looking up, holding your hands out, pick the number on their fingers, or how do you get kids to keep their head up more? Well, for, first of all, the term head up, I don't like. Because when you're standing on the ice, where's the puck? On the ice. So therefore you're looking down, down. So if I'm looking across the arena and the pucks over there on my other teammate, I'm actually looking down. So we look down, our eyes look down. I might glance up. Where is that guy? But I go back down. So obviously I know what people mean about head up, but technically it's, it's, it's a weird term because we're technically built looking down. So the other thing about it is sometimes your eyes have to go first. So for example, if I'm picking up a puck and I'm going the other way, I better look where I'm going. So my eyes go first. Sometimes your eyes go last. You're going back into your own end. The defenseman's passing you the puck on a breakout. You're actually following the defenseman. You're picking up the puck and your eyes go last. So you better have done your homework before you look at that guy. So the term head up is sort of like a misused term, but I, I obviously I understand what it means. But we try and work on all the possibilities of where your eyes would go. First, last, left, right, up, down, you know, and because quite honestly, we do do all of that. Do you then work? I know there's now a lot of athletes are working on those boards with the light boards. It helps with their peripheral vision, right? Quicker because they say, you know, that it's maybe for the longest time, one of the most um, overlooked aspects of sports and specifically in hockey was just your eyes. And so are you a, are you a big believer in that? Here we go. <laughs> no. How come? Because what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So you could train everything off ice as much as you humanly want. You got the wrong stick, waste of your time. So how does a stick play into that? Yeah, oh yeah. Let's go to stick or I this I like. Well, because you know what? Like, <clears throat> for example, if you grow up with a straight stick, you have to learn equally on both sides of the stick. 
right? It's probably the simplest way I can explain it, right? So as you cruise around with that straight stick, because it has no curve, you're moving your body both directions. So you learn backhand. Guys with straight sticks have great backhands. What a coincidence, Sidney Crosby, right? So Wayne Gretzky, oh, what a coincidence. So at the end of the day, you're developing your skills, right? So if you have a crazy curve, that is going to affect how you handle the puck, pick up the puck, pass the puck, shoot the puck. So it will affect your decision process. So that will affect your eyes. So if you have a straight stick, you're going to learn peripheral vision on both sides. Why? Because you're right down the middle. So of course I'm looking both sides. If I'm sort of twisted because of my curve, how can I ever look over there? And that's, that's not an easy thing to explain on the show. That's something that like, and that's one of the things, that's one of the first things when I have a new client, I, I know his, uh, his, his glitches based on his curve. I know that I just, that's what I know. So I need to now prove it to him, get him to understand it, get him willing to think about change. Right. I'm not telling him to change because it depends on who it is. But no, I'm, I'm getting him to think about it. Like what? And, and I have drills that are like, okay, so why can't you do that play? I can do it. How come you can't do it? And <laughs> sooner or later, they figure out they can't do it because of their tool. And, and that, so, so if you want to train peripheral vision, I obviously understand that, except I've already trained it. I got it. So, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, the glitches are created from your tools. Like we all, you know, you think about how guys care about their skates, right? A lot of guys care about the skates. Well, of course, of course, turning radius, of course, you know, so it's a combination of speed and turning. Yeah. We're not speed skaters. Their steel is that long. Why? Because they only move in one direction. Right? So that's why they can have steel that long on their skates. It does give them extra velocity, extra power. But they're speed skaters. They're not hockey players. So all the guys who really focus on skates, I understand that. I was never that guy, but I understand that. And the stick is just as important. And when you, so, talk to an, when you talk to an NHL player, his gloves are that important. So how do you work with a player that comes in with one tool? Do you, do you work with him to change the curve, change the blade? What do you, what's a typical process that you go through when you first get a new guy? So it would depend on the guy. It would depend on the guy. And then everybody's got their personality. Everybody's got their sort of walls that they build up about, well, no, I'm good with my tool. Okay. You know, so, and I don't, and I'm not a crank. It depends on the guy. I'm not aggressive about it, but then some people I am aggressive about it based on their leash. Like you got to fix this now, man. You don't have six months. Right. Are they, are, are some of them open to it? 99% are open to it. And, and what, like how drastic of like, just, you know, I don't need a name, but how drastic of a change are we talking about in terms of, and, and when you, when you are seeking a player, depending on what they come in with, I guess would be the, that's where you'd be starting with, but Given what you're saying about the balance between forehand and backhand, is the preference to get guys as close to a straight stick as possible? Or does it depend yeah. on the position? Yeah, no. Uh, get, get to as close as possible. Yep. So if you were to, you know, just a, a total like theoretical or hypothetical question, if you were to start out with a kid that's yeah. seven or eight years old, your suggestion would be get the, the flattest curve that you can or the flattest, straightest stick that you can 
so that you can begin harnessing that from day one? Yes. If I, if I had a seven-year-old starting hockey right now, I would give my son a straight stick. Or daughter. Correct. Yeah. Huh. For a few years to develop the skills, then I would add a little curve, which because the puck, I would add a little bit of curve because the puck has spin. So at some point you do need to take the spin out of the puck. Pucks going around the boards, you need to be able to take the spin out of the puck as fast as possible. Is it dependent on position? Not for me. So a defenseman, same same thing as a forward in terms of for me, yeah. What they might need. Huh. Now, Ota, you played with a pretty straight stick. And I kind of joked from, you know, after I got to know you, I was watching video and I remember playing road hockey as a kid. And I know, you know, everybody remembers those Gretzky Titans and you'd play on the road and they would just end up being like a toothpick. You had a really thin stick when you played. Why? Um, I, you know what? I would say that when I, you got to remember like, and I had that Titan too, Gretzky stick. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, I think we all did. But uh when you look down at your stick, you get used to your visual. Okay. So I, I would never change a guy's profile of his stick. For example, Patrick Kane has a square toe. Some guys have round toes. That, that, that doesn't bother me. Right? So, so usually, generally, it is a little thinner at the heel, and it sort of fattens out. Um, and, you know, mine was no different to that. I ended, I ended up shortening my blade a little bit in the second half of my career, Cause I had a major hand injury that I had to kind of like shorten it, but I kept the same curve. So why did the hand injury, what was shortening the step? What was the correlation there? You know what? I just, uh, I lost a little mobility in my hand and I shortened it to give my, my hand. Up. I lost a little bit of strength in there. So I ended up shortening it to make my hand feel like secure. So I know I've talked to you about this and we talk about sticks because I think everybody listening, how many people will take up recreational golf and they'll go and they'll go get fitted for golf clubs. And that's, and that's not even the regular thing. That's just what they do. And then you think of how many people have actually properly ever got fitted for a stick. Why is that such a non thing for the most part in hockey? You know what? I would say there's lots of little reasons Number one, a kid grabs the first one by accident and um, he he gets used to it and he likes it, right? I would say defensemen grow up. You know, you think about a 10-year-old defenseman at the blue line. Well, he can't hit the net from there. So they end up gravitating towards heel curves because you get a little bit more of a boomerang effect and they can get it to the net. So next thing you know, big Johnny's got a big slap shot. Well, okay, well, that big slap shot doesn't equal playing hockey, does it? So we end up developing our habits. Everybody's got them. You know, I just, my generation, we didn't have many choices when we grew up. It was like lie five or lie six. So that's what we got. Can you explain the importance of a lie and how the benefits of getting a proper lie? And then maybe for people who don't understand what a lie is. You know what? Basically the lie is your posture. So when you watch a hockey player stand, we stand up, we bend over, right? You're in skating motion. You stand up a little bit to shoot or pass. So you're, we're constantly evolving up and down, up and down. So your stick can't change lengths, right? So you, you're looking for an optimal length. And then the lie allows the stick to get based on the curve to go back and forth where you carry the puck, how you carry the puck. So it's a constant motion. And that's why lie length and curve all matter. 
both, both sides of your body. So it, when you think about it, it's very complicated. It is. Yeah. So it looks easy when you watch. And it's funny because that's one of the jokes we have in the summer is people watch us and everybody's like, what do you guys, that's all you guys do. What are you guys doing? <laughs> but, but you know what, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's pretty complicated. It is. Well, the other complicated part of the discussion is that, and this is a larger game discussion is there aren't really a lot of choices. Like you go to your, you know, your local hockey, it's better now than it ever was, but the, the sophistication and the nuance of it to really truly get a custom, you know, to exactly what you need or want, it's not something you can just pick up off the rack. And that's, that's probably half the battle. Is it not? I would say so. And also in fairness to the stick companies, like, like I, if, if you ask me, I would tell them to put out one model, but they got to sell sticks. So they have choices. They have different colors. They have different curves, you know, so the, cause they, they need to, to move product, which, okay. But it's, for me, I still want, I go back to the safety bat, safety subject because I think your tool can get you in trouble. So it, 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 it's, it, you know what, Frank, it's a, it's a weird, weird thing. It's a weird subject. Um, and, you know, the companies, they got to move product. And that's why every year they change the graphics, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so, and that's, that's golf. That's every company. Right. I wanted to bring it back to you. Um, clearly, you, you really like what you do and, and obviously have a successful business. You mentioned, you know, your tenure coaching uh, it's been almost eight years since you were last behind an NHL bench with the caps. I I'm wondering how different you think you'd be now as, you know, just given what you've learned working with guys so closely over the last eight years, if you were to do that again. I, I would say I've learned some things in terms of uh, communication, um, how to communicate with the guys. Uh, like, like, like I, we talked about earlier practices, what I would focus with guys more on practice than what I did. Um, you know, and, and obviously the, the communication with your boss, I think is vital and, and the direction. Um, I, I, I loved coaching. I did. Um, and then when I got let go, I started this business and, you know, I put, I, I changed my mind and I got into this business. And, and that was one of the first things that I wanted everybody to know was I wasn't doing this business, hoping to get a coaching job again. You know, I, I committed to this business um, because obviously being an ex-coach, ex-player, people were wondering. So that was it was important to let everybody know, no, no, I'm doing this now. Well, yeah, I think I and you mentioned how much it's changed. I think I'd see you pop into rinks and like, you know, immediately you'd get the question from the head coach whispering, like, what's he doing here? Well, you know, then the everyone's talking. Why is he here? What's going on? Like, I guess there must have been some friction at some point that obviously the game has changed, the game's evolved, and you know, you've been doing this a long time to the point where it's just part of what players do now, whereas it wasn't necessarily in everyone's arsenal beforehand. Yeah, there was no question. There was friction at first, and I expected it. Um, but I also felt if if someone ever talked to me or asked me, like, hey, what do you do? I would show them. Mm -hmm. because I knew, I knew like, I, like I'm not a stupid guy in the sense that if I'm telling a player to do something that his coach doesn't want, don't, how long before that coach would hear that? Cause the boys gossip. I'm an ex player. We gossip. So, so if I, like, even when I send out clips, 
I know, I know that every clip I send out, well, Gary Batman might hear it. You know, because it's media, like it can get out there. Right. So like, I'm not, I'm not stupid in that sense because I do know there might be friction. So, so I'm never putting myself in a position where that, Hey, listen, you're telling my player to do something that I don't want, Mm -hmm. you know, and and obviously logically that makes sense. Sure. Now I got to ask the question though. Would you ever like to be an NHL coach again? No, I'm good. I'm done. Why? Uh, cause I'm, well, I'm too far down this hole, too <laughs> old. Um, uh, I enjoy this. Uh, I got people that are accountable to me now. Um, so no. What now, kind hey, of, you... what kind of personal satisfaction do you get from watching the players that you work with grow as like, it's different, I guess, as an NHL coach, you have players that come in players that go out and, and, you know, they're kind of on their way in their career and you may never cross paths with them again. You're, you're with these guys for the most part year after year, I'd imagine that, you know, there has to be some kind of enjoyment in watching that growth. Yeah. You know what? I would say I don't have any kids. I got, I got 60 kids. Hmm. So, so like if I see a guy do a little something that maybe I helped, I'm like a proud dad. You know, and when they're struggling, I'm like a sad dad, right? <laughs> so I go about fixing it. But no, I really enjoy, um, it's sort of like my second life, right? I, get, I enjoy sort of like helping and passing on information and trying to make the guys better. It's, it's very rewarding. Now, Adam, I know it's, it's eight years since you've been in and the game changes a lot, but like for the longest time, goalie coaches, there was a goalie coach specific for that position. Are you surprised that in 2022, like, I know there's a, there's a guy who runs a defense, then a guy who runs a forward, but not necessarily like a skills coach. Cause a goalie coach would focus on technique and positioning. He didn't talk about the system. Do you think that's something that hockey lacks is having like a certified skills coach for each position? Or is it yeah, necessary? Possibly. Yeah, no, very, very logical comment. I would tell you that it's harder than you think to teach. You know, it, it, like you see a guy make a mistake and, and even a normal fan can see a guy make a normal mistake, right? And it's like, oh, come on, man, why do you do that? Well, I fix it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as easy as you think. Yeah. Well, having played like the quick second decision part is huge in hockey. And so you work on getting guys in the right position so then they can make, you know, better quick decisions. Can you work on improving someone's ability to see the game or anticipate the game quicker? 100%. But we, we spend a lot of time on stuff like that. Like one of, one of the, one of the, um, important factors of the game that I would tell kids is when you make a play, whatever that play is, pass a puck, shoot a puck in, there's going to be another play like that. A defenseman shoots the puck around the boards to the winger. Well, so you skated after you pass the puck. Well, the defenseman's pinching on that winger over there. So that puck's going somewhere. It's going out or it's coming right back down your throat. Are you ready for right back down your throat? You know, so like, and it happens quick and some guys are not ready. Their mind checks out. Oh, I made a play. Oh, oh, it's back in my, right down my grill. <laughs> right. Oh, it's, Hey, listen, you, you watch, you watch puck battles. Well, what's a rebound? Guy shoots the puck is a rebound. 
Who's reacting to that rebound faster? Right? And where does that puck go from there? Like, like seriously, at the end of the day, that's, that is what we work on, Jason. I mean, that's a great, great point. And it's a magical point because some guys are better than others. You talked about the communication, Adam, with, with different players. Do you find now that you've done this business there, there's some relationships that you try and like coaches get fired. Do you ever fire a player or just say, you know what, this isn't working? <laughs> uh, I haven't. Um, there's been a couple of frustrating moments with guys with that we've gotten through. Um, and you know what, that's, that's the part of the job that's hard because just like any job, like I'm dedicated to them. And so I want them dedicated to me. I do. Um, and we always don't see eye to eye on every subject. But that's, that's, that's also part of the fun of me trying to figure that out. I enjoy that. Awesome. Frank, do you want to go to rapid fire? Yeah, let's do some rapid fire. All right. So, oh, so we play rapid fire. The only rule is you have to answer the questions. Okay. No fence sitting. All right. Okay. okay. How many questions? Uh, well, it depends on your answers. Oh. The better they are, the fewer questions we'll see. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, uh, this is like a traditional one we have. Uh, when Adam Oates is sitting down after a, a night of watching 10 or 15 games, what is your cocktail of choice? Bud Light. Ooh, okay. Um, of a player, you whose player? Which stick do you do, do you, you know, get excited about right now in the NHL? Who has one of the best sticks? In what capacity? Um, that allows it to be the most functional tool. Well, when I when I watch guys, obviously I really gravitate to guys who handle the puck. So, I, and I'll give you two guys that are not my clients: Panarin and Kane. Yeah, Vander Kane's stick handling skills are pretty quick. Now, I know one of your clients is Connor is, is Connor McDavid. Um, you probably saw a shootout goal last night. When you when you work with the best player in the world who's got a unique skating skill set, what what has been the one thing that you've tried to help McDavid? Well, that that shootout last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know uh, Connor's ability to change gears is absolutely ridiculous. You guys are lucky that you get to watch him. My, my only concern with Connor is um, his ability to gear down. So to slow, the, to slow the game down, you mean? Yeah, slow himself down. Oh. You think, okay. you think about the, the race car drivers. What makes them special? Well, the cars can accelerate and decelerate the best. That's why they're race cars. Well, he's the fastest race car driver. You played with them, and then you coached one. Who has a better one-timer, Hall or Ovechkin? Holly. How come? He could, because he could shoot any puck you pass to him. So if I made a bad pass, he could still get it away. Who was the toughest defenseman for you to play against on the rush when you played? On the rush? Yeah. Uh, good question. I don't think any of them. <laughs> I like it. Hey, that's a good answer. Okay. Well, hey, so, listen, it's, it's one of the subjects I have with the guys. Like, like when you have the puck in the neutral zone, you're not allowed to turn it over and you shouldn't. How come? Because you've got control of the puck. The two defensemen are right there. You got guys chasing you. Where's your wingers, right? Like if you have no play, dump it in. If you have space, take the space. 
So neutral zone, because there's a lot of emphasis lately on neutral zone play. So you believe the worst turnover in hockey is the neutral zone turnover because that's where maybe you have the most control? I, I don't like it. And I over the blue line, I don't like it for sure. I don't like it over the blue line. I'm, I'm like every coach. No one likes that turnover. What makes a successful power play? Why are some teams consistently good and others struggle? Hey, man, that's, that's not free. <laughs> and that's definitely not rapid. <laughs> <laughs> that's not free. What do you miss most about playing? The anxiety. The anxiety, though, that's, yeah. that's, that surprised yeah. me. Okay. I, I, I miss the stress. Good, good and bad. You're not a very big guy. You were one of the best face-off guys. What's the key to being a good face-off man in the NHL? Balance. From your stick or your skates? Skates. Guy who gave you the most trouble in the face-off circle and why? Oh, guys. Uh, Mark Messier, Doug Gilmore, uh, Rob Brennamore. Big, great technique. Lastly, um, you're a huge fan of Wayne Gretzky. You played against him. You guys are basically the same age. Did you ever lose your awe of Wayne, and did he take advantage of it when you played against him? Well, I would say that in the early years, I think he took advantage of everybody, with it, like, and obviously the team he had. And yeah, I was I I tried to mold my game after Gretz because I thought he was the best. You know, so why would you, why would you mold your game up to someone else? Right. Like I thought I, I played similar to him, but I thought he was the best. So I tried to be like him and uh, you know what? There was, there was games, especially when he was with the Oilers that you were in awe. And I played for Detroit when he got traded to LA and he had five points in 30 minutes. Yeah. And, and sometimes when you watch Gretz, which is, I have a lot of video of Gretz, where there was sometimes, obviously you saw the beautiful play, but sometimes he made plays you didn't know he made. And that's sort of like what I used to try and study. It's like, well, that was a, that, well, he just made a 10 foot pass. No, 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 no. If you actually try that, that's, that was a beautiful pass that people didn't, you, got, you guys got so used to it in Edmonton, you wouldn't have known how hard that pass was. And you'll see that with guys that when the guy scores a goal, every once in a while, you'll see the guy that scored, like nowadays they sell you like no tomorrow, but you'll see a guy score and he'll point to that guy and go, yes, because the guy who scores knows how hard that pass was, how good, how good that play was. He just put it in the empty net. If there was one player that's not a client of yours that you would like to work with, who is it and why? Well, there's lots. There's lots. Um, I would say because you see things that you could, you feel like you could change or easily pick up on. Um, well, I mean, I, I see that with every guy, right? I see. Cause like n- none of us are perfect. None of us. So, but I, when I see guys have certain skills, like I, when I look at Panarin, right. I, I would love to work, work with him because I like the way the man plays and I'd like to just be able to mess around with him on the ice and talk about it. And uh, one last one, uh, Adam, uh, as a left shot, how difficult is it to coach right shot people? And is it, is it important at any level to have a right and left coach? Do you think at amateur? No, no, 
No, no, you should be able to, if you know what you're doing, you should be able to flip the switch. But what about mirroring? Because some kids learn, like if they're a visual learner, right? Do you switch your stick sometimes? Because obviously you're pretty skilled. Would you shoot like a right shot if you're teaching a right kid just so they can see the motion? Does that help? Um, I would say yes, but I'll make it even better for you. You should have someone who passes the pucks be able to change. Because if, if a righty's passing to a righty, it's different than a lefty passing to a righty. Yeah, yeah the, spin, the spin of the puck changes. Well, I love your uh, your outlook on hockey, and we appreciate you having it on the on the DFO rundown. Uh, continued success, and uh, go back to working on your stick because I know it's still not perfect. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. I really enjoyed that interview, Frank. Uh, the the views just on the game and and seeing the game and thinking the game, and I liked what he said about hey, you know, my biggest regret as a head coach was I didn't work on certain skill sets of players in, in practice more than I should have. Second to none in terms of hockey acumen and discussion. Uh, I don't know that I've ever had a conversation with someone in hockey that I was more intrigued by their thought process and how they arrived there. Yeah. Um, And I also came away from that hoping that his wife likes hockey. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, he watches a lot of hockey. No, no, quite well, but you know it's, it's like, it's, it's not just like watches a lot of hockey. It's like eats, sleeps, lives, breathes. And, and I guess you kind of heard him say at one point that there were maybe a couple moments where he kind of fell out of love with it, but like that, like to be in it all day, every day like that, like you really have to love it. Oh yeah. It's gotta be a pat. You can't, you can't fake that stuff. And because your, 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 your clients will know that you're not in it and it won't be successful. And uh, it's intriguing having talked to some of the individual guys who have worked with oats and just the small attention to detail. And these were NHL players, right? Like they're like the most minute of details. Yes. yes. And small things that they didn't, they're like, wow, I never thought about that. And like, it's, it's been interesting from different skill set guys from elite, like McDavid down to, you know, uh, fourth liners or third pair defensemen who suddenly, um, and you know, it's, I'm not going to speak out of place with them, but guys who work with them and they feel like that extended their, their careers two or three years because their puck skills got infinitely better. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Remchuk before we wrap up the hundredth edition of the DFO rundown for another edition of fill in the blanks. Yeah, we're ready to go for another edition of fill in the blank. It's delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. Ah, I love hitting that thing. There's something really satisfying about hitting a button, but anyways, really satisfying <laughs> promo code rundown DD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. So hit up DoorDash this weekend. You don't want to cook. It's the weekend. Let's be real. Um, let's start with Evander Kane. He's going to be in the lineup for the Oilers. The question is, Evander Kane will score blank goals for the Oilers this year. We have 43 games remaining. Man, Kane had his best season last year in the NHL. 43 games, I will say 17 goals. Okay. Damn, I was going to say 16. I feel like that's too close to you now. I'll go with 18. All right. I'll, I think you guys are both pretty close. I'll go with 15 because I think that'd be pretty close to like a 30 goal pace, which is kind of what he's been on. Uh, we didn't touch on this and it was a pretty big story throughout the week, but the three game suspension given to Aaron Dell was blank. Frank. Trying to come up with a frozen reference. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not, but uh, <laughs> my Aaron nieces Dell, are big fans. 
Yeah, it's it was a big thing in my house for a long time. Uh, warranted, justified? I don't know. Okay, nah, fair. fair. I, I thought fair. it was totally. That's totally a valid suspension. That you know what? I feel for Drake Batherson, man. The, yeah. the young kid, the thrill of his life. He was going to go to the All Star game, get to hang out with all the best players, and and now he doesn't get to go. That's brutal. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. I I was kind of thinking like the example that popped into my head was. You know, in baseball, when a starting pitcher will get suspended for like six games and you're like, what the hell are we doing here? That's like one start. I feel like for goalies, you should almost just like, especially a guy who's kind of a backup, double it up. He should have gotten six games like him missing three. Yeah, it's nothing. Um, Anyways, last one I got for you. It's a quick edition of fill in the blank. We are getting close to the second half of the NHL season here. I think we are. uh, Yeah, over half the NHL now. 22 teams have played 41 games. So it is the second half. The question is the team that will surprise the most in the second half of the NHL season is blank. Jason. Well, Hmm. I will say, well, the East it's doesn't even matter. Someone surprises not catching. So I'm, I'm actually going to go with the national predators will have a dip in the second half of the season. Oh, going with the, maybe like a disappointing surprise. Okay. Bear, Frank. It's more recency bias than anything else, but the way that the Calgary Flames have mauled teams in the last week by a 13 to 1 margin, mm-hmm. they're at a 590 points percentage. They haven't hit 41 games yet, so they're not in their second half. They started off really well. I don't think they got enough credit for how much they were scoring. And I think they're going to pick it up. So I'm going to say the Calgary Flames. All right. And I lied about that being uh, the last one. I do have one more here because we didn't touch on this. The talk about the Arizona Coyotes potentially playing in a 5,000 seat arena is blank. Jason? Well, you know what's interesting? I I need to look at it from a business sense because I know that Gila Arena has 18,300. I, I don't even know. I haven't looked at the attendance. How many are there every night? What are they charging ticket prices? Can you take 5,000 and charge more? And, and instead of $10 tickets or freebies, would that make it close? It doesn't look good. Let's be honest mm-hmm. here. It looks minor league that you have teams playing in 18, 19, 20,000 seat stadiums. And then you have one team playing in 5,000. Like it just, I'll, no one can say Gary Bettman and Bill Daly haven't done everything to keep hockey in Arizona, but playing in a 5,000 seat arena for three years, it's not a good look. You asked me to fill in the blank. So the word I'm going to use is intimate. I actually kind of <laughs> like it. I, um, I do too. The more I think about it, I think it could be somewhat intimidating and loud. And I, I think the arena is actually supposed to be really nice. So I don't know that it's going to be that rough of a situation. And I don't think that there's a business case for it because there's just a limit of what you can charge for hockey in Arizona Mm -hmm. anyway. But um, I do think that there's a chance to at least finally have an environment there, which might make it a little bit different. And it's just, I mean, it's a number of years, but it's still temporary. Like those seasons, that the Islanders had at Barclays, like it, it went by quick. Like it wasn't ideal, but like you, you made do and like everyone kind of just got along with it because you knew that it wasn't forever where I have actual doubt is that they get a forever home. So that's a different story. Yeah. I think see for me, like this is on the ASU campus. 
Like, I think those games, this might actually be good for the future of hockey in Arizona. If kids who are going to college are like, what are we doing tonight? Let's go drink at a hockey game. Looks like a bit of fun. Maybe this is their path to developing like a long-term sustainable fan base (laughs) is to get a bunch of college kids in love with the game. The the only NHL team with its own student section. Yeah, Yeah, but the whole rink's a student section. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, I I would just love to be a fly on the wall in the owner's meeting that says, (laughs) yeah, okay, we've got revenue sharing. Oh, yeah, we have a 5,000-seat stadium over here, guys. Yeah, but we like sold that. 18 million beers I'm, to the college kids. I'm still not <laughs> convinced that this ultimately isn't just a leverage play to Glendale. Maybe no, was, that yeah. they say, you know what, we're just going to go here for three years and Glendale's and they're like, mm. well, you know, we could just go back to Glendale for three more years and just pay them more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, you could be right. Yeah, because it, it seems odd to me, man. Very according odd. to Hockey Reference, the most they've had for a home game this year is fifteen thousand two hundred. The least they've had for a home game was uh, one against the Blue Jackets, which was seven thousand eight hundred. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. We got totally sidetracked here on Buy or Sell, so I will wrap it up as always, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. And that's it. I don't know. It's deeply satisfying. Um, <sighs> by the way, like. Gila River Arena. I don't like. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's actually really nice. Like, oh, I've been there. It's fantastic. There's nothing wrong it. with it, and it's no. just in. It's just not anywhere near where it needs to be. Dude, me and my buddy, me, me and my buddies went there. We got a suite. It was a hundred bucks a guy, and that included all our food and booze. It was like the greatest deal ever. And, and it's it's nice. Like it's it's modern. Oh. It's clean. It's yes. it's big. Like it it's everything you'd want it to be. But if you could just like put it on wheels and move it to Scottsdale, yeah. that's really kind of the problem. So yes. that's why I think ultimately they end up just staying in Glendale for a few extra years. I know Glendale's done with them. I know. But if the Coyotes pay them, I don't know, another 500 grand a year, whatever it is, like to make it work, that's just how I ultimately see it playing out. But that's just me. It does make more sense, Frank. Don't be sensible. Okay. Don't be too sensible. Uh, don't inject Have yourself an awesome- into this. An awesome weekend. And once again, thanks to Adam Oates, a riveting conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to everybody on Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.